Greetings, salute and welcome, lady beings, gentle wonders and other creatures of the night. This is the Truth or Death podcast created by Lola Hamilton and Ebel, your hosts to diversify your life. It's time for insights on the creative arts scene, hacks and tools for healthier living and hearing stories from voices around the world to share their truth stories. Are you ready to dare your truth? A new episode of the Truth or Death podcast starts now. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to the Truth or Death podcast. I'm super excited for today's episode, but before we start, we're going to do the shout-outs to the worldwide audience that we have gathered over the last weeks. We're growing, and I'm excited to introduce that the US is still leading. Then we have the UK and Germany in the third place, though Austria is kind of behind it. Also, shout out to Brazil, Netherlands, South Korea, Canada, France, Ireland, Australia, Denmark, South Africa, Italy, Bangladesh, India, Portugal, Singapore, and Sweden. And now my lovely co-host is going to take over and take it away. Hello, Kinders. It is me, your savage Sagittarius host again. <laughs> Lola's already judging from the back row. <laughs> okay, front row today we have Fred who is an actor, writer, and creative person. When Lola told me you're having a chat with us, I was really excited. So welcome, welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Oh, yeah, let's just have a throwback at first. Uh, how did it all start with the creative uh, stuff you're doing? Uh, so acting came first. Um, I used to play a lot of sports. And uh, when I stopped doing those, I was at school and I was very used to having stuff to do after class. And um, yeah, there was like acting classes and school plays and they kind of just became things that I would do after school. And um, I, I always like really sought validation as a kid. So when people tell you that you're good at something like that was like very addictive for me. Um, and acting was kind of the thing that I think a teacher once just in like a very nice way was like, oh, you're quite good at that. And that just meant that was my whole focus for the rest of my school. I kind of stopped doing work and uh, mainly focused on that. And then writing came later. Um, I was at university and uh, I did a uh, writing course for theatre because I was annoyed I wasn't at drama school at that point and I wanted to feel connected to the industry. And yeah, I wrote my first play there and then that went on. And then, yeah, I've been writing alongside acting ever since. That sounds really amazing. So what is it <laughs> that you're currently doing? So what uh, did it lead up to? to so most? currently, uh, like what am I doing right now? Yeah. Uh, so right now I'm doing a play. I'm doing a stage um, adaptation of Jane Austen's novel Persuasion. Uh, in London for three months. So we're going from uh, the end of February to the beginning of May. And I'm playing Frederick Wentworth, which is very exciting. Yeah, so everyone who's in London, please have a look at it. <laughs> <laughs> please. <laughs> so what's something you wish someone would have told you about the creative industry when you were younger? I, I was thinking about this, actually. Um, 
I think, particularly in my early years when I left drama school, I always got very intimidated by meeting people whose work I really respected. And you, you think they're really good at this thing that I'm very not good at yet. And they're going to think I'm shit. And that's never true. Like they are inherently creative people. And I think people who do work in, in the industries that, you know, us three have chosen to work in are really lovely. Like, obviously that's not without exception. There are obviously nasty people and everything, but I wish I'd gone into more auditions and more meetings, knowing that you're there to help potentially create something rather than auditioning to make them think that you're worth their time. Um, so I wish I'd learned that a lot younger. I absolutely feel that too. It's yeah. the same for me because when I started, uh, um, I met Game of Thrones photographer Helen Sloan. And I was Amazing. so scared, so scared to meet her because I went up to her afterwards and just asked her because I was so in love with her work. And I asked her, oh, what do you think about my photos? But I was so scared about her reaction. And she said she would never do it like that. But uh, your style is your style and uh, just do whatever you want. And I was so surprised by it because I was so scared of her reaction. But I would just recommend everybody the same. Just go up to the people and connect with them because that's always mm. the best motivating thing. I guess it was for me to just speak to those creatives because where else are you going to get those connections? Mm. <laughs> yeah. So I just needed to throw that in there. <laughs> should there should there should been some, some truth bombs as well from my side. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean, I think everyone that works in the creative industry has and like to somewhat extent experienced the struggle of confidence. Like, I don't think that anyone is excluded from that, whether you work as a photographer, actor, writer, whatever. And I think that's some, something that essentially we still need to tell over and over again, because, you know, um, there are so many creative people out there that still don't try because they are so afraid and stuff. And like, This comes from someone that lives with anxiety. <laughs> um, so it's like, or especially on the, when you, when you have a certain mental health diagnosis, I know it can be so tough to, there are days when it's just, it feels impossible to do certain things and it feels like you're so out of, out of the circle. But the moment you start to decide you, you want to create something, you're in the circle and that's mm. where it starts. And mm. it is a form of impact that we all have. Um, for example, um, the way I met met uh, Abel, it was just the thing of uh, she was one of the people that actually saw my mess and said, I think you're, this is, I know this is very poetic, but it is true. <laughs> um, <laughs> because it was the very kind of like early days of my fantasy series I was working on. And she said, I think you're having a really good, like, this is something that you need to tell people. And at that time, we were not as close friends. And I was like, you know, if some, like, there was someone that basically barely knew me, but saw the art in what I was creating. And there are people like this out there. And what you guys already mentioned is, because I preached this and I know it's going to come back to me at some point. <laughs> so I always say, um, I obviously have certain favorite actors. Like, I mean, no one is excluded from that. We all have certain people that we look up to that inspires mm -hmm. us. 
So if you know me, I love movies with Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> but I always say, no matter if Timothy Chalamet, your mom or your friends are with you, you should be able to express yourself. Mm. And you should not be, you should not fear to put yourself out there. And I know, and this is something that is a constant training. Like it's not, it's not something that, you know, you snap with your fingers and like, oh, this is, this is really comfortable. No, you will have certain situations where this kind of like happens again and again but it's it's almost like a thing of like you know at the end of the day just remember they they are people they are people mm-hmm. obviously privilege and impact and, and all that kind of stuff exists and we we live in a society built on labels and boxes and classes and all that stuff but at the end of the day we're people and when you have something that is very genuine and i know that's also scary to just put your art out there and say like this is me yeah. So yeah. what do you think? Which Abel also just mentioned, but the right people, and that's also a great example that you gave, they won't judge you in a negative way. They will look at your stuff and say, you could do this and this, but you know, the way I do it is not how you should do it. You need to have your own way. Mm. I think as well, like, and it, it's, it's interesting because I, I have um, my own kind of battles with anxiety as well. And I think it's, it's, unfortunate in a way that we've chosen a career which is largely based around rejection unfortunately like there there are only so many roles as an actor or a director or or a a creator in any sense um so we do we do particularly at the beginnings of our career experience a lot of rejection i think and for me that was very difficult at the start because i took everything incredibly personally so and the, the longer you work in yeah. the industry, I think, and particularly now I've been, you know, fortunate enough to work as, as, as a writer and a producer on certain things, you, it's never personal. Like someone can come in and do a really good job, but they're just a fight for it. And you keep them in the back of your mind and you might work with this uh, person on something else, but it's, it's never to do with them as a human being or, or kind of their art or their, their ability to create. Um, and I think that's a real stepping stone to get over for young creatives is that rejection is personal because it never really is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we also do have an episode about rejection in the creative arts, which is, I think, two episodes back. Yeah, so okay. I think to, so. Uh, mm-hmm. Listen to that. You can all check it out if you want. Um, but thanks for mentioning the rejection part because it is really a big part of the creative mm. business. So are there any other struggles you had to deal with or uh, let's say best and worst experiences so far? Um, I think struggles that I've experienced like are, are more just the struggles that a lot of young, particularly like young actors experience. I think you're, you're coming into an industry that is oversaturated with people and um, you're, you're kind of, fighting for your place but fighting makes it sound like a kind of you versus me sport which which it's not um you're you're just trying to get to a place where you are enabled to do your work right um it's not that there's limited space it's just that you're trying to get someone to give you a chance um and in terms of best and worst moments um do you, which one do you want first Whatever you like. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I'll do worst first so we end on a high. 
Yeah. Um, so my worst was last year. Um, I'm I'm part Jewish, and I was on a job, and I was playing quite a posh English uh, character, and someone on that set at one point on the first day in front of a lot of the other cast who I just met for the first time that day um, made a comment about my hair and they just said your hair's really greasy there's loads of oil in it we need to strip that away and I don't know if any of your listeners are also of Jewish heritage but we naturally have a lot of oil in our hair and if you do strip it away you you it just like goes really frizzy it boosts out and it's not at all what they would have wanted for that role and it was just the just very much being put on the spot and I think it was the use of the word greasy that makes you feel a bit dirty and I just remember kind of sitting there and being like oh my god like these like five people who I've just met today and I'm now working with for the next four months are now just that's going to be their first impression of me um it was then to be fair just dealt with quite quietly and you know me and this person who said it never had a problem again they were very lovely it was fine but that was just a real moment of of just being made to feel like deeply uncomfortable I think on a set and that's one of the only times that's happened um and then the best the best in working industry do you know what it was it was it was doing it was doing the film it was doing broken gargoyles um there was such a lovely once you've worked a little bit in this job and you meet people who who become friends and colleagues and then you 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 get to work with them like you get to pick who you want to work with and I remember I mean I wish we'd been in a room together more often but because of COVID it was a lot of like this we were on Zoom um but you just look around the kind of panels of faces and everyone is someone you really respect and you really you really like and if you've just met them, people have vouched for them. So there's real accountability with everyone in the room that everyone's there to do a really good job. And I don't know, there was just, a, a, there were a couple of moments on that job of just looking around, even when we were on set and filming and looking around and seeing who we'd got to get on board with this film. It was really lovely because you're making something that you love with the people that you love. And I think that's kind of the dream, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I just love how you said that because filmmaking is so different from all the other arts, if I can say it like that, because there is some kind of special magic in the room. I don't know what it mm. is, but it makes all the people feel like family, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah, you are, you are a family for the duration of the shoot. You are because you spend however long together during the day. And then a lot of you go to the pub afterwards and you talk about the day. <laughs> And then you wake up and you come and you do it again. <laughs> so you already mentioned uh, Broken Goggles, your most recent project. And mm -hmm. it was once a theatre play. So tell us a bit more about the background and the idea you had uh, when writing the play and then putting it into a short movie. Um, so it came off the back of a play I wrote a long time ago. Um, which uh, called Edward Mason shot Hans Hauer in a field, which was about uh, World War One, And it was about a gay Jewish soldier um, being on trial in, in World War One. And um, 
the theatre that then commissioned the short play, which was a theatre in uh, Battersea called Theatre 503, came to see that and they expressed interest in my writing and they invited me to a couple of events and one of which was called A Rapid Write Response. And um, the, the kind of premise of that is you go and you see a play at the venue and you then have 24 hours or 48 hours to write a kind of piece in response to that. And uh, Broken Gargoyles was the, the piece in response. Um, and I'd always, uh, be, and it was, I wanted to stay in the same world as what I'd done before um, with Ed Mason. And it's telling what I suppose are really well-known stories and like almost events in history that have been like over-narrativized, if that's a word, where we have a hundred stories about World War and we have a hundred stories about, you know, events in our past because we romanticize them or or we all feel deeply connected to them somehow um but i've always really been interested in telling those stories from um viewpoints that maybe won't be seen so much in you know more mainstream or or more kind of don't want to say big budget because that 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 feels wrong um but just kind of viewpoints that you don't often see so like gay soldiers or like we we kind of looked at like soldiers who weren't white and you know you look at a lot of world war one films and everyone is white in the trench and that just wasn't true um and uh that's that's kind of where broken gargoyles came from so most of this project has been happening around the pandemic right can you tell us a little bit more about the process and challenges you had to deal with yeah of course um The pandemic slowed down the process, but we were very lucky that it didn't stop it. Um, it's, it's, there's something kind of ineffable you get, I think, when you're all in a room together, and I think you can bounce ideas a bit more cleanly off each other. And I think being at a removal of an email chain or Zoom or on a phone call, you kind of miss that sometimes, um, but you you have to keep people safe. So that's what we did. Um, and while we may have got it made a, a month sooner, I'm very glad that we we did do it the way we did. And we, we, we were very safe um, in our lead up to it. And then obviously once you're on set, you, you then observe all the kind of protocols. Um, and you know, while that means you can't all you know, hug and kiss each other, which you want to do at the end of a great date, you you just, you don't, you just, you keep your mask on and you stand at a distance and you kind of Oh, I feel that very much. I also had uh, last summer a short film, which was in, in the middle of the pandemic. And it was so weird for me as a photographer, especially because everyone has a mask on in the crew. Mm. And we're just going to keep it as a document of that time. So let's just leave it like that. <laughs> um, so Broken Gargoyles is in a historic setup, right? From yes. all the costumes and uh, how do you say that in English? I forgot the word, the setup of the, not stage, the room. Oh, like the set design. Set design, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a little, a little bit more about that? Because I'm very... Uh, interested in uh, historic filmmaking <laughs> uh in in what sense like where we source uh, the stuff or like why we chose to set no, it then or... 
because uh, it's more of a challenge, I would say, to make up a historic setting. Yeah, so I was I was talking to a, a friend of mine, a, a screenwriter, a couple of days ago, and they told me that to set something in a period setting like World War One or like the Regency period, you have to add either a third or a quarter to the budget because the clothes are so much more expensive, the settings are so much more kind of decadent. Um, so yeah, I think I'm, I mean, I think that is true. We were really lucky. We worked with amazing set designers, um, who just, I mean, sourced the most incredible stuff. I remember Freddie saying the first moment he saw what the film would be is they sourced this amazing old, um, gramophone, um, that we just found. And it was just in a room at one point, a room that was a very normal room. We hadn't painted it. We hadn't dressed it. But as soon as that was there, Freddie was like, I, I can feel the film. Oh, I love I love such anecdotes because um, uh, I mentioned before that I also work in historic filmmaking stuff. And there are so many nice things always to see. But I know mm. that these are special um, challenges for especially the costume makers, but they Uh, they do so amazing work and I always appreciate them so I just wanted to mention that Broken Gargoyles yeah. also has very nice aesthetics <laughs> <laughs> thank you okay so um, to any other creatives out there would you like to share some words of wis wisdom and advice or anything to inspire I kind of think just it would it would be to reiterate kind of what we were talking about before about knowing that other creatives in this industry are there because they want to create they want to make stuff so never you know particularly if you've been invited in for a meeting or an audition never be afraid of of being judged on a personal level because they're not actually interested in that they they want to They want to meet you and see what you can offer. And knowing that we, we, we operate in a very subjective world, someone's favorite actor will never be someone else's ultimate favorite. I mean, obviously there are people like Meryl Streep who like lots of people will love, but you know, that we all have our favorite things within this industry and it's so down to personal choice. And while that can feel quite scary because there's no right answer, it's also incredibly liberating because you, you have that one thing that only you can do that might be someone's favorite thing. So yeah, be, be, be excited about what you can do. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> yeah, mic drop. You want to add something, Mola? <laughs> I know you always want to say something about those things. <laughs> hey, I've changed, okay? <laughs> My challenge for this year is to become more quiet in this podcast. Uh -huh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, what, what Fred also just mentioned is something that, you know, is essentially true to the way you can look at the world because... If I look at my friend circle, we are all like, even though we have a common ground on, on things, we all have different interests in, in a certain thing, which is, for example, why I love this podcast, because I work with the team together, because I have a certain kind of like range on like what 
type of people I look into in the sense of like, most of the times I get to know actors because they play a certain role, which I think is very complex. And that's where I take them on. But that's, you know, especially with like typecasting and such, that's a certain type of actor that I look into, for example. Um, and then you work with people who have a complete different, different opinion or, or bias or whatever it is they look into. And I think that is what I love about the creative arts industry. Like, even though it seems like you are already out there, no one has your story. No one has stepped your, your path. And I think that's something that you need to remember and keep in mind, because even though you might scratch on the surface of a certain like type or a certain like, you know, setting or whatever it is, or height or the way you look and express yourself, mm -hmm. it, it won't be the same because you are you and whatever that means to yourself in that moment can be so different from what we have seen before on screen or, or stage mm -hmm. or whatever it is that you want to express. So always keep in mind that you are unique with your story and your story deserves to be heard and seen. So if you have a dream, keep going. Mic drop again. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the creative arts would be very boring if everyone was the same, to be honest. So yeah. The way we are, the way we are, that's not an English sentence. What the heck? <laughs> <laughs> so everyone is unique. And that's the great thing about the creative arts, because it gives so much more opportunities to tell different kind of creative stories. So just be yourself and do whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> <laughs> okay, swearing quote reached. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> uh, so Fred, you mentioned your Jewish background and uh, in matters of uh, diversity and LGBTQ, what's your message and stance on that? I mean, I think it's, it, it's, it should be just so obvious that the, the more inclusive, particularly we are as an art, and I'm talking about the arts, because I, I think that's the realm to which we can all speak right like the more inclusive the arts is just the better everyone will be as a result um you you gain nothing by not telling stories and by ignoring people's stories um i, I think i just i think that's it i, I don't think there's there's no ifs ands or buts about it it's just It's got to be. It's got to be that way. Otherwise, the entire thing suffers. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yes. Absolutely yes. agreed. I preach, think, preach. <laughs> <laughs> I think the people are also right now in year 2022 are just tired of seeing the same thing over and over again, I think. Well, that's just my own like observation. I don't know how this mm. would be both. Um, if you want to say something to that, but I think that, well, I am tired of seeing all those things again. And again. <laughs> I assume everyone else just is also tired of seeing those things. <laughs> yeah, we, we are. We are. And you, you don't have to look. And, and people think there are rules. Well, I think not anymore, but I think people used to think there were rules. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I grew up, I mean, until I'm 30, so I kind of, 
remember the time when kind of colorblind casting was relative not new because i think it's been, been done for years but it was relatively new and mainstream and people were talking about it even in the show i'm doing um when it was first done in 2017 some audience members were like oh i don't understand why so and so was this race and so and so was this race and just the more the more you do it just the better the more people will accept it and i think if the industry sh and, and the industry does have to lead it has to lead that kind of movement doesn't it I mean, we're here to change it. The new young yeah. generation of filmmakers, yeah. the art uh, uh, of the arts, etc. Damn right! It's <laughs> about time, girls and boys, and everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> like I always say, I have to mention it again because the old people are retiring soon, so we have to take their jobs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Stop making the boomers aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> are there any boomers listening please come at me <laughs> they are i'm the one that leads the statistics stop <laughs> no just joking uh but uh, i i'm very very positive about the next but also sorry quick, how wonderful would it be if boomers were listening to this yeah yeah exactly right exactly yeah. yeah yeah um so lola do you want to add something to that <laughs> Okay, I try to keep it short. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I mean, just generally, like, from what I'm trying to do with the project that I'm working on, or the way I now have decided what I want to put, what, what art I want to put in this world is just, the more door we close, or like the more doors we close, for example, based on like race, or, or even gender, um, the more we leave out stories that need to be told. Um, which is kind of like, I would say it's definitely something we're going towards in the sense of like, you know, instead of always putting labels on a certain casting, that's why that's why the casting more. Or obviously speaking from someone that writes novels, um, try to strip away from the comp. Like, I know it's like when we create characters, sometimes we have a certain... I'm not excited mm -hmm. from that. Like I've been asked so many times, did you imagine like a certain actor when you wrote this character? And sometimes yes, and sometimes completely no. Like there are so many variations on like where, how a character can come to life. But the way we can write stories, it doesn't have to be about like completely describing a character. Or if you do that, the, and then for example, if, if you wrote a book and then it comes into an adaptation, make the change then because there are books that have been written like 10 years ago and now they get tv shows and stuff but that doesn't mean you have to stick to the old truth you can look at the current situation and look of like okay but what kind of audience is out there and there are so many great actors out there or like not only actors but creators like we also need to look at the behind the scenes people like to diversify that and or even if you if you make a certain production, make sure you get sensitive people on set. For example, if you want to tell stories about queer people, um, black people and stuff, make sure that there are people in the crew that know what it is like mm -hmm. to tell these stories. Because, you know, I can understand that sometimes we have a certain bias or type how we want to tell stories, but that doesn't mean we, we can't include certain people to make sure there is a certain sensitivity to it or that we can make it possible that 
certain voices are heard and really kind of like get their say in it. Because, um, for example, what I um, just remember as a debate was the whole debate of like a lot of white male actors have so far been playing uh, queer characters on screen. Um, that was a bit debate, for example. And to a certain, like, there's a lot of stuff that needs to be considered when it comes to type casting or like casting a certain role and stuff, obviously. But then, as I said, you can still make sure that even if you cast someone that hasn't the, the story or the experience or the understanding, make sure you get people mm -hmm. on set that or that talk to the actors or like that interact with the actors. I do believe that certain actors do the research on their own. Like the mm -hmm. kind of actors that I look into, they are very passionate about their art. They, they do their homework, <laughs> as I always like to say. Um, but yeah, just to, to, you know, diversifying in any sense is just a better change for the future. And you can't argue that with me. You can't. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> again, how many microphones do you have? My God. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, so Fred, is there any other cup of tea you would uh, like to spill? <laughs> mm, I don't think so. I don't think I have any tea to spill. I can't think of anything. What is there something you want to ask? Is there, is there a particular cup of tea that's teetering on the edge? <laughs> do we have any tea that we want to I, I don't think we have I mean we might actually do that once the, once the recording stops <laughs> <laughs> just to tease the audience <laughs> well I mean it's statistically proven that the filmmaking is uh, about 90% male driven so that might be something And I'm trying to figure out what, what are the reasons for that, because of... Patriarchy, sorry, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because we are getting more and more diverse and... Um, how do you say that? Um, you want to say it in German? Some, so, yeah, sometimes I ask myself if uh, people uh, who are female or non-binary are not that interested maybe in filmmaking which i can't imagine but um it is it is possible because our production company is about 50 percent female so and we're looking around and seeing especially in germany which is a very <laughs> male-driven uh male-driven film um scene there is not much happening I feel sometimes, but it is definitely possible. And I don't know how, how, how we can change that or make people know, because there's absolutely no reason that there shouldn't be at least 50% diverse or female people working on set. So that, mm. that was just something I had in my mind uh, always. <laughs> mm. I wonder if that's to do with because um, you just said that um, people who identify as female or non-binary don't want to do it. And obviously that's not true. Obviously there's, there's going to be an interest in people to work in this industry. But I think sometimes when an industry has been so dominated by one type of person, that the, the lesson that it teaches is almost that it's not for other people. 
So it's not that people aren't interested in joining, but they feel they can't join it, which is just another kind of door to be kicked in, isn't it? That's a good point. That is a nice thing to think about, actually. And we can also give it to our listeners, think about it and just uh, punch some doors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Metaphorically speaking, please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ah, yeah, we have to be correct, right? <laughs> no, um, <laughs> I think that was a nice last uh, thought we had. And if you want to say another thing, feel free to add it um, to our last minutes on this podcast. <laughs> Total truth. Uh, uh... What? Total truth? <laughs> Question mark? Uh, if you want. Both. Okay. Do you want me to say it or like introduce Yeah, it? You, you can. Yeah, okay. So uh, what we usually do in the podcast, I think you saw it in the email, is uh, we have the section called Total Truth. Yes, uh, I did. <laughs> oh, he's prepared, oh. <laughs> excited. Um, yeah, so listeners, uh, obviously our guest gets to say up to three truths, which we can't comment on. And into 2022, the challenge is now to make me furious. So the stage is yours. <laughs> Okay, I only have one, mm -hmm. but it's quite a big one. I my my flatmate hates it, and uh, both of them think I'm really weird for this. Um, but I got it from my nan, and um, what she used to do was, um, you know, when you have a toaster, she put her bread in the toaster and toast it the night before. So when you wake up in the morning, you have cold toast, but it's so crispy because it's gone stale overnight. And you put the butter on it, and then it's like, it's like shards. And that <laughs> is the best way to eat toast. <laughs> Try it. It's amazing. Actually, we are not allowed to comment, but actually, I, I did that <laughs> once. <laughs> But it was more not a con. It was not a conscious choice. I just forgot <laughs> the toast in the toaster. <laughs> no, it's the best way to have your toast. It's so crispy. Oh my god! But it's nice. I mean, it's like it's not yeah. a toast anymore. It's more like a cracker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a ribito or something. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I said nothing. You know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> So we just uh, accept this truth and um, <laughs> close off the podcast. I was so upset. <laughs> I yeah, wish I can't, the I can't wait for, for the recording to stop and have the real tea talk. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Okay, so let's wrap it up. Um, thank you, Fred, so much for being here and talking about the creative arts and about your projects. And um, yeah, that's about it. We'll see thank you each so much other for again. <laughs> thank you so yeah. much for being here. Thank so. you so much for your time and stuff. Do you want me to, to outrun the listeners in it? And yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, as you can see we had fun and we hope you had fun too so next time you're on the tuning in on a truth or death podcast we will inspire you with more from the creative arts industry but wherever you are in the world right now make sure you take care and that you pursue and follow your dreams and we're going to hear you the next time on the truth or death podcast <laughs>
Bye. Bye.